Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, October 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The U.S. has blocked dozens of federal websites from users in Hong Kong. Staying with that, elites in Washington, D.C. have turned hawkish on China. That's true for both parties, and we'll talk to our D.C. bureau chief about that. And a Silicon Valley startup has decided to disrupt whiskey. I'm Brendan Greeley, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The U.S. has blocked access to dozens of government websites in Hong Kong. Now, these are the sites that provide economic data, like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which produces the Monthly Employment Situation Report, or the Census Bureau, which publishes retail sales. These are numbers that move markets, which is crucial to a financial center like Hong Kong. Access to the websites is blocked, but banks and traders can still get the data using a virtual private network or a commercial terminal like Bloomberg or Icon, but it will be slower, and that can make a big difference. The Financial Times talked to one former diplomat who said that the policy goal is likely part of the Trump administration's wider push to treat the territory just like mainland China. Staying on that subject, the FT has been producing a series of reads on the new Cold War between the U.S. and China. This week, Dmitry Sevastopolo, our D.C. bureau chief, wrote about how elites in Washington in both parties have turned hawkish on China. The pandemic has made it difficult, particularly for Donald Trump, to come up with the right rhetoric. Mark Filipino spoke to Dmitry earlier this week. Here's their conversation. What's interesting for me is, I mean, obviously, the campaign this year is totally different. There really aren't that many big rallies. It's much more difficult to travel because of the pandemic. But I remember back in 2016, I'd be in the middle of a huge crowd at a Trump rally. And there were kind of three things. You'd hear people shout, lock her up about Hillary Clinton, build that wall about the wall on the US-Mexico border. And the third thing was bashing China over trade and the trade deficit. That's changed from March onwards after the pandemic struck. Trump stopped talking about trade for a couple of reasons. The main one being that the U.S. trade deficit with China at the end of 2016, just before he took office, was almost identical to the U.S. trade deficit with China at the end of 2019. So in his first three years, Trump really made no dent in the trade deficit. And then the pandemic hit. So he pivoted and he started attacking China again. But this time it wasn't about trade. It was about you know, China being uh, untransparent, and he made China the bogeyman. And so for months, we heard about China COVID, China virus, Wuhan virus. It was a big deal. But what's happened more recently is Trump is talking a little bit less about China uh, in that context. And I think one of the main reasons is that every time he talks about the virus, it gives Biden an opportunity to pounce and say, you haven't handled the virus properly. You said at one point that it would disappear and we had 15 cases in America that would disappear and go to zero within weeks. Now, in October, the death toll is more than 200,000. Yes. So, Dimitri, you mentioned Biden. What is the former vice president's approach in handling China if he were elected to the White House? Well, so Biden talked a little bit about the need to bring back manufacturing jobs in the same way that Trump did four years ago. And he's talked about getting tougher on China and having Buy America policies, which by extension are partly aimed at China. And he's talked about the trade deficit. And he said that Donald Trump, you know, famously wrote the book, The Art of the Deal. And he said Trump has shown over three years that he did get a phase one narrow trade deal with China earlier this year. But it's it's seen as been really very weak, and it's not even been adhered to by the Chinese. And so he said the Chinese have basically hoodwinked Donald Trump 
But Donald Trump, I mean, maybe not in the ways that he set out to do it, but he has been tough on China, at least in the past few months. What does that look like, Dimitri? What's happened is for the first three years, Donald Trump was not tough on China beyond trade. So national security issues, he really didn't touch them. And when his officials proposed taking tough action, whether it was South China Sea or Huawei, Trump was very reluctant because he wanted a trade deal. He got the trade deal. The pandemic hit. Two things have happened. His kind of harder line hawkish national security officials have realized this is a golden opportunity to do the things uh, vis-a-vis China that they wanted to do because Trump wants to blame China for everything now. And so they have kind of jumped on that bandwagon. And when they proposed that he ban TikTok, initially went along with that. WeChat, the Chinese messaging uh, app, he has been very tough, but it's a very recent thing. And at the moment, you know, he's taken a lot of tough actions, but it's not clear what these are actually going to lead to and what the goal is. And it's also very late in his administration. And so, frankly, from the Chinese perspective, you wait things out and see if Trump gets reelected before you decide, you know, what your kind of policy towards the U.S. is going to be. So I do want to get back to Joe Biden. A lot of U.S. allies want the former vice president to win, and they hope that he would stabilize U.S. relations with China and really the world, how realistic is this? I think after almost four years of huge turbulence, there is a desire to get back to some kind of normalcy. Biden has been a proponent of engaging with China through most of his career, you know, when he was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, when he was vice president to Barack Obama. But I think a few things have happened. One is even during the eight years that Biden was in the White House, China showed that it couldn't be trusted on certain things. So, for example, Chinese President Xi Jinping stood beside Barack Obama in the Rose Garden and said, I will not militarize the islands and features in the South China Sea. And then China went and did exactly that. You know, so Biden will have seen things like that where Xi Jinping looked in their eyes and said, I won't do X and then went and did X. So I think there's going to be a trust issue. The other kind of external factor that Biden will have to deal with is that the whole of Washington and and anyone in the U.S. who deals with China, whether they started off as a dove or a hawk, pretty much everyone on that spectrum has moved a little bit more in the hawkish direction to different degrees. So there will be some constraints on Biden, particularly from Capitol Hill, in terms of things he can do with China, because I think there's just a lot of people who have given China the benefit of the doubt for a number of years and are now increasingly impatient. How does China view everything? I think at this point, they're probably hoping that Biden wins. I think they think that Biden will be easier to deal with. Not necessarily that he'll be less tough, but just it'll be a little bit more structured and organized. And Biden is not going to be tweeting at two in the morning. I think the million dollar question is whether Chinese President Xi Jinping, who himself is a hardliner, whether he would see a Biden victory as an opening to make some concessions to the U.S., And I think he needed that. I think Biden will need something from the Chinese as well. It can't be a one-way street. Or will she be very inflexible and kind of try to maybe challenge Biden from the start and do something to test him? That was Dmitry Sevastopolo, our D.C. bureau chief, talking to Mark Filipino. Can you disrupt whiskey? Maybe. Should you disrupt whiskey? I have my opinion. I will leave you this weekend with a dispatch from Judith Evans, our consumer industries correspondent. She wrote about several companies, including one called Bespoken Spirits, that are using technology to produce aged whiskey within days. You can do a lot of things. 
It does not mean that you should. Anyway, here's Judith. So this is a company called Bespoken Spirits. It's a startup based in Menlo Park in Silicon Valley, founded by an entrepreneur and a materials scientist, which has developed, it says, some technology that can, by processing spirit through its machine, create the effect of years of barrel ageing in sort of three to five days. There's been quite a bit of scepticism from traditionalists. The Scotch Whiskey Association pointed out that in quite a lot of territories like the UK and EU, you have to age whisky for at least three years in order to be able to even call it whisky. Certainly looking at some of the comments from FT readers, I think there are a lot of people who feel that the process of maturing whisky is sort of part of the story that makes them enjoy the end product. Um, having said that, though, it does sound like this company has a few commercial deals in place already. So clearly they and others believe that there is a market out there. The overall global spirits market is 500 billion a year, so it's very substantial. They aren't claiming their process will take over that entire market, but they do think it could be used not only to make spirits, but to make other kind of matured substances like even kimchi or vinegar. So they are saying it has quite wide applications and they also do have competitors out there developing sort of similar but slightly different processes, again, to sort of bypass part or all of the ageing process. So they're not the only ones who think there's a real opportunity there. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and Mark Filipino. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Mark will be back next week. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.